Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week are two guests, Rebecca Ganetsky, a clinical geneticist, and Abigail Stone, a licensed marriage and family therapist specialized in working with children with emotional disturbances on the autism spectrum and with developmental delays and their families. Both are avid advice column enthusiasts. Guys, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so sorry I stumbled so much over both of your bios. I can talk. Great. (laughs) And I'm so excited to have the both of you here. It's been a while since I got to have uh, anybody in the studio, and it's been even longer since I had two people in the studio. Well, we are super excited to be here. I'm just looking forward to making a lot of significant eye contact. Awesome. Uh, We are pro. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Great. Okay. Well, um, I hope you're both doing great and just prepared to heal the world. Absolutely. And I look forward to hearing what your uh, five-year-old had to say about some of these questions. <laughs> Many things. <laughs> I got to have more five-year-olds on this show, clearly. Um, I have a volunteer for you. Great. Oh, she would do it. <laughs> so we're going to start with a big one. The subject line of the first letter is, my ex-husband renamed our daughter and won't budge. Dear Prudence, my ex-husband left me for his current wife before we knew I was pregnant. Initially, he didn't want me to have our daughter and called me selfish for choosing not to abort her. I chose to name our daughter Madison, father's last name, my last name, when she was born. Eventually, he came around. And a few months later, after he and I reached an agreement about how to co-parent, he sent out birth announcements for Natalie, his mother's name, his last name. He and his wife refused to call Madison by her name and instead call her Natalie. If they could, they'd change it legally. Now Madison is almost five, and she's confused by her two names. To everyone but her father and his family, she's Madison. If she asks to be called Madison, they refuse. She becomes very distressed when she has to shift between two names, and discussing this with my ex-husband devolves into arguments about why she has my last name. While it'd feel like swallowing glass to concede yet another thing to my ex-husband, I want what's best for Madison. What should I do? I'd like to give this woman an award. (laughs) Yeah. Just for dealing with him. I can't believe that they made it until Madison was five before she started having an opinion on this. I just, yeah. Um, I kind of want to give the kid an award. Yeah, just just to go so quickly from I'm leaving you for someone else. Um, I don't want you to have this child at all to radio silence for the first few months of the child's life to fine, I'll be involved, but I'm picking a new name is just what the Greeks called hubris. And he is inviting <laughs> the wrath of the gods. Yes, that is yeah. fair. And it's a completely different name when the kid is already several months old. Um, which just, and I mean, you know, people do weird things in the heat of the moment when they break up a relationship, but to stick with a completely different first name for five years, I, I kind of wondered how much time does he see this child? That's fair. I think the thing here, because obviously I could spend a lot of time talking about how much I personally dislike this man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hours. Um Uh, But I do want to bear in mind that the letter writer is looking for what's best for her daughter and trying to figure out. um, Because I I, I do think, by the way, I don't think that the right thing to do here is say, yes, let's start calling her Natalie. No, absolutely. Um, To everyone else in her life, she's Madison. She asks to be called Madison. Um, 
that, you know, just letting him have his way, I don't think is going to be ultimately helpful for her. But I think the thing that could maybe be the most helpful is it does not sound like they have like a court ordered custody agreement. Mm -hmm. It sounds like they hashed out some sort of agreement about co-parenting and the letter writer is realizing it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. So my first thought is, I think um, it is important to uh, hire a lawyer, a mediator, um, somebody who specializes in, you know, court ordered custody agreements and get one, you know, hammered out about, you know, visitation, family stuff, um, uh, money stuff and name stuff. Can a court ordered custody agreement include calling somebody by their name? This like I've dealt with custody agreements before with clients, but I've never seen one that included you have to call the kid by their name because it's never come up. That's a great question. I feel like a lawyer would have a much better uh, answer for that. I I, I don't think a judge could like say, I'm going to come over to your house and make sure that you do this. (laughs) Um, But just to have... because I can't imagine this is the only thing he is unreasonable about. Yeah. Um, given that this is the name on her birth certificate, like this is her name. Um, even if it does not immediately result in compliance on his end, um, just for you, letter writer, to feel like you have some stuff in writing um, and a really clear sense of what you do and don't need to do with him will be helpful. But in the meantime, when it comes to how do you both assert what is you know, consistent and right and best for your daughter without, you know, driving yourself absolutely bananas trying to control your ex's often unreasonable behavior. What do you guys think is the best tactic? I mean, one of the things that I was thinking about is as someone who's kind of old enough, who owns a five-year-old, I think five is old enough to to ask Madison what she thinks. You know, does she, does she want to pretend that Natalie's a nickname when she's at her parents' house? And she might be okay with that. Does she want to have less time with her father? And if they don't have a legally agreed custody agreement, that's something that they could pull back on right now. Um, I worry that that's a lot for a five-year-old just because there's already a lot of ways in which it seems like she feels kind of pulled between them. Not that I don't think – I think you're right that she should definitely, like, talk to her daughter, ask, like, how does it feel? Is it Mm -hmm. confusing? Um, Where are you in this? Yeah. But I think to kind of put it on her would maybe be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. but I, I do like the idea of talking to her about it. Um, and I think, man, I just like, hey, man, this is her name. This is her legal name. This is the name everyone knows her by. Um, I'd sure like it if you could drop renaming her, given that, you know, and I don't want to like encourage her to go real big but it's like you did leave me for another woman (laughs) encourage me to have an abortion and then you know refuse all contact with her for the first couple months not that that means you can't be a present co-parent since you kind of came around but this is done like she's not going to have two names her whole life and i just feel like at some point he needs to understand the impact this is going to have on his relationship with his daughter Mm -hmm. like I've I've met kids who were who had this kind of relationship with their dads who were literally waiting until they were 18 and never had to see him again and waiting until they were old so they could pick him a terrible old people's home. Yeah. I, yeah. I I think, you know, don't give in to your husband here. It's your ex-husband. I'm so sorry. Oh, my gosh. Um, consider getting just more legal clarity around the custody mm-hmm. agreement that you do have, because I just think you're going to need more help as time goes on in dealing with him. And whatever ways you can kind of keep your interactions with him to a minimum is going to be good for you. Um, and then just also really inviting him to think about how this is affecting your daughter. Yeah. Um, 
I also might concede the last name, like with a with a legal agreement in conversation with a lawyer. If I were her, I might. But she I might did to the begin with. She gave her daughter the, the. She hyphenated their last names to begin with. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. her father's last name. It was literally Madison, her ex's last name, hyphenated with her last name. Like she was generous from the start. Yeah, that's and I, fair. I don't think this is like two kind of reasonable people having a hard time coming yeah. to an agreement. I think this is a case where he just seems to have a history of making unreasonable demands on her. Um, and so I just think... If you wanted to concede something, you could concede the middle name. It's small. No one cares what someone's middle name is. Sorry, people who are really attached to their middle names. But I don't think that a concession is necessary. Yeah, I, I think she started with a concession that was very generous. Um, I think there are p- going to be plenty of times in their co-parenting relationship where she will have to make compromises and concessions. I think keeping the name that she gave their child on the birth certificate is really reasonable. Um, mm-hmm. And five years of him and his whole family doing this. Oh, man, I just I want you to have a custody agreement that yeah. really limits your interaction. And how is how, I also wonder how he's getting his whole family in on this. Like are his parents in on this? Are his are his siblings in on this? I think that kind of answers the question of how he got to be the way that he is. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. Not everybody is not everybody's family is totally responsible for their uh, how things go, but it sure sounds like they have just kind of made a habit of doubling down on a lot of his decisions and just going with whatever interesting slash bad choices he has made on any given day. So it may just be uh, that they are, uh, you know, co-signing all of the things that he's doing. But yeah, of course, if you feel led, you can have a conversation where you try to compromise on the middle name. But it just doesn't seem like the middle name's a sticking point for him. It seems like what he wanted to do is totally rename your daughter without ever having a conversation with you about it. And that's not a reasonable position for him to come from, especially given where he was when she was born. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of calling people by the name they ask you to call them. That just doesn't seem like a crazy thing to do. Yeah. And especially when you already know that your daughter is like, my name is Madison. Would you please call me Madison? And he says no. Um, Yeah. I'm just sorry. I wish he wasn't such the person that he is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this next one, also a big one. Yeah. Would you read it for us? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Subject, would you conceal an abuse history for $10 million? Dear Prudence, incredibly, this is not a hypothetical. Long story short, my mother abused me and my father passively enabled her. She is dangerous and nearly killed me twice. I have been no contact for 20 years for my own safety and had lots of therapy. Recently, my father died and the executor, my genuinely nice cousin, tells me he left a fortune in trust to be split between my sister and me after our mother passes, probably in about a decade. I knew nothing about this. The catch is that if I do anything to antagonize our mother, such as disclosing our abuse history, breathing wrong, or tying my shoes funny, she will decide that I am Satan incarnate and attempt to disinherit me. She'll fail. She's in care and deeply paranoid. But to fight her, we're talking lawyers, civil court, and a fortune dissipated through legal fees. All I have to do to inherit is continue as I am, lying low and saying nothing. I don't want to say nothing. I am at the stage where I'm ready to tell my story, but even in an anonymous blog with the details changed, I run the risk that she'll find out. If it were just me, I wouldn't care, but I'm married into a poor but wonderful family, and this money will make a huge difference to them. Can you think of an approach between wealthy repression and impoverished disclosure? Wow. The good news is yes, I, I can. Yeah. But yes. this is this is big. This is yeah. 
this is a, I would love to know what your father was thinking. Um, well, it sounds like enabling was what he was thinking, but yes. that was a hell of a codicil to put in his will. Yeah. What do you guys, what do you guys think this person should do? I mean, on the one hand, it almost sounds like she can't, she can't guarantee winning here. Right. Because she can decide not to reveal her abuse history for 10 more years or whatever. And that's assuming that the letter writer's mother dies on a timeline, yes. which sometimes people don't do. Yeah, crazy. Shockingly. And, um, but then she mentions, you know, breathing wrong or tying my shoes wrong. And I just wonder, like, what demands is this mother going to start making in, in exchange for this money? You know, she hasn't seen her in 20 years. Is it going to be you have to start seeing me? Is she going to be stuck seeing her abuser regularly for 10 years for money? Is she going to have to go tell people her mother is awesome to get the money? Like, it just, it could keep going forever. Yeah, I think... One way that it might help make this feel a little bit less fraught is I don't think there's an option where you can guarantee she will not attempt to get in between you and this money. Absolutely. Um, so I think one thing that will help is speaking to a lawyer now um, mm -hmm. because, it, you know, you might tie your shoes funny. Your mom might live another 20 years. Um, so I think it's uh, going to be a good idea to prepare yourself now and just to get a sense. And, you know, I, I know that you said you married into a poor family. It does not sound like you are, you know. Um, rolling in it at present. Um, but if you can save up enough to consult with a lawyer for an hour or two and just say, here's the situation. Um, what, given my mother's circumstances, are the odds that she could, you know, file suit? Uh, what would I, what might be some likely expenses that I would incur? Um, it might not be as disastrous as you think, given her position. It might not mean like a full, really intense trial that you would have to pay for for months on end. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, you know, should you consider talking about your abuse more publicly um, with other people? Um, I, I don't think you should think I should sit on this and wait for her to die first um, mm -hmm. because otherwise I won't get the money. Because it just sounds like the odds of her trying to do this will, will have very little to do with you and everything to do with the fact that she wants to continue to abuse you. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I noticed was the letter writer said, all I have to do to inherit is continue as I am. And there's really no implication from the letter that before this happened, the letter writer felt tempted to say anything. Hmm. And I think they feel pressure to make a decision about what to say and how to say it right now because all of a sudden the money's on the line. And because it feels like it's hush money. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. And I think... I don't know. I'm I'm pro talking about your feelings, but I don't think you should feel compelled that you must make this decision right this second and that it is inevitable you either say something right now in a specific way or you say nothing ever. Like you have a lot of time to think about how you want to say your truth and 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 when the best time to say it for you is. Yeah. So I I think do not think of deciding to talk about or write about your abuse as the thing that's going to get in between you and the possibility mm -hmm. of this money. Like, it sounds like this money is introducing or reintroducing a lot of old, painful feelings about your father's, frankly, not so passive enabling. Um, if he is, you know, leaving you a lot of money with this really, um, th that is also tied to your mother, that's, you know, he is connecting you financially after his death. Um I understand why that's bringing up a lot. And, yeah, for sure. Um, I think accept as a, a, a proceed as if your mother were already filing a, a suit. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's probably just going to be a helpful way for you to think about this. Just assume it will happen. 
if it doesn't, you know, that's a pleasant surprise. Um, but I don't think that there's ever anything you, you could not behave so perfectly that your mother would not decide to hurt you again because she didn't have justification for abusing you before. She's doing that because she wants to abuse you. And that's awful. And I'm so sorry. But um, I don't think that you could guarantee her good behavior um, simply by not talking about what's happened in the past. I also think there's a difference between, you know, sharing it with the whole Internet, like in an anonymous blog with the details changed. And maybe just, you know, starting to tell some dear friends and some close family members who don't talk to your mom. So you could, you know, there are ways you could disclose that aren't that aren't as public as like, let's put it all out there on the Internet. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, I, you know, I would say do what feels right to you right now in terms of sharing your story um, and not feeling like by hoping for this money someday that you are, you know, signing some sort of agreement to pretend that your mother never abused you. Um, and really, you know, ask for help and support from your family and friends who are a part of your life. Um, and it does not sound like she's going to have much of a much of an ability to actually uh, take this money from you. But it's also far enough in the future. You you really don't know when she's going to die. So mm-hmm. it, it could be five years. It could be 15. I don't know how old your mother is, but um, I, I think it's kind of better to continue living your life as if this money were not on the table rather than thinking it's my job to make sure that I get this money just because there's so many factors outside of your control right now. Also, I think if you talk to the poor but wonderful family you married into, I'm sure they wouldn't want you to make your decisions based on getting them the money. Like, I'm sure you say they're wonderful. I'm sure they love you. Yeah, they're not like, man, if you don't get us this $10 million, we will regret that you ever married into our family. Yeah. yeah. They're not going to say that. Yeah. And and I'm glad that, I'm glad you don't have to talk to your mother. I'm glad you have wonderful in-laws. It sounds like you have a supportive partner. Um, just keep looking out for yourself. All right. A lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of husbands doing a lot this week. <laughs> yeah. More terrible husbands. Yeah. Uh, We got this next one. I think it's uh, your turn. Yeah. Subject. I'm getting gifts meant for my husband and his mistress. Dear Prudence, my husband and his mistress just had a baby. We're in the process of divorcing, but I only found out six weeks ago, so it's still very new. I've been receiving cards and gifts from people who've seen pictures he has posted to Facebook, but don't know the whole story. I'm heartbroken and humiliated. Part of me wants to post a statement to my social media saying, I am not David's baby's mother. We are in the process of divorcing. I appreciate you reaching out, but the well wishes are misdirected. At the same time, discussing this publicly and in a place where people can respond would be agonizing. I want these gifts and cards to stop. What can and should I do? I am so sorry. That just sounds awful. I think I know a couple that your ex and his new partner can double date with. (laughs) (laughs) They would have a lot in common. Yeah. I'm just so sorry. How awful to have to, like, be polite when all you want to do is either hide or, you know, hire a skywriter to talk about (laughs) what a jerk he is. Yeah. this seems like a situation where enlisting a couple of good friends would be really helpful, right? Of just saying like, hey, I would love if you could help me out and just let people know not to send me these things. And I don't want to have this conversation. Can you can you do that on my behalf um, so that you're not having to call up everybody and say this yourself? Yeah, I think that would mostly solve it. I mean, I think this has got a terrible situation It's really hard for the letter writer. 
But I think the solution is is pretty easy. And I think that that's kind of objectively the correct correct next step. Yeah, the only reason I would n- maybe not advise that is if uh, the letter writer feels um, equal amounts of discomfort at the idea of other people discussing her, in which case, um, then I think if, if you also don't want to say something on social media, which I really understand, by the way, I would yeah. not want to have a bunch of like comments that were like, oh, wow, I'm really sorry yeah, to just stare at me when I logged into Facebook. Um, you could also just say that to the people who have already sent you cards and gifts um, and then say, please, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Or please, if anybody else is is trying to do this, please let them know. Um, but that is awful. And I'm sorry that you're having to do this cleanup. Yeah. And um, it it really is kind of terrible that you're doing double duty on both being hurt by your husband having a mistress and then finding out now that they just had a baby um, and now you have to deal with the social outfall. And she only found out six weeks ago, which means that by the time she found out, you know, the baby was at most a few weeks out from delivery. I mean, she must just still be in shock. Yeah. And she's dealing with like this practical stuff when she still should just be grieving. Yeah, and she just says, like, I don't know the whole story. She just knows he's been posting pictures on Facebook. So clearly this was not even like, I have something awful to tell you. Um, this was like he was gone one day and she's kind of like trying to pick up the full story based on like third-hand accounts of other people's social media posts, which is just awful. I mean, I think if the letter writer doesn't feel comfortable asking some friends to to tell people to dissipate the news, I hope that the letter writer at least feels comfortable finding some friends to talk about what she's going through because this sucks. Yeah. And yeah. and I will say this. Um, if any of this discomfort comes from the feeling that you have to respond, you don't. Like if somebody sends you a card or a present or a message that's like, congratulations on the baby, you don't have to say anything. Like it is not rude of you to ignore those messages. My Just own? so we're real clear. And I hope it goes without saying, but you also have no responsibility to get the gifts to the baby. Oh, oh no. God. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm, I'm glad that you said that. But yeah, you don't have to wish this baby well. I mean, don't. Leave the baby alone, certainly, <laughs> but you don't have to worry. Don't try, don't try to rename it or anything. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, My only concern is that if she doesn't follow up at all, that some of these people will start being, will start contacting her again with, think, hey, did you get the present? I think they're going to eventually figure it out. Okay. But, you know, yeah, you could keep ignoring those things, absolutely. People will eventually hear, hey, did you hear? Because this is a dramatic story, and yeah. that's part of the pain, right, is like, yeah. This is going to be a salacious topic of gossip for some people. Um, And so that part is painful, but it's also people are going to figure it out, right? When you stop bringing your husband to events um, or when they see, you know, that he's holding a baby with a different woman, um, they will put the pieces together. So even if, especially if it's not somebody you're really close with, if somebody tries to follow up a week or two later and you're just not in a place where you can handle that. You're fine. You know, you're fine. And is he posting these pictures like without the baby's mother in the pictures? Is it like here's a picture of a baby. Here's a picture of me with my baby. Right. Like, Uh, how is it not obvious in the pictures that it's another woman who gave birth to it? I'm starting to think that this guy's a little thoughtless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it would be wrong to ask the soon to be ex-husband, possibly through the divorce lawyer, 
if he would send out birth announcements with, like, him and the baby's mom. And, like, yeah, that hurts and it's painful, but it's a way to get the news out to your contacts that you don't have to take responsibility for. Yeah. A- anything you can do where this burden does not fall solely on you. Certainly, you, if you don't want to post anything on social media, I really get that. But the script that you posted in your letter here is great if that's something that you want to say to anybody who attempts to send you those congratulations. Um, You can ask a friend uh, to say those things on your behalf. You can say nothing. All of those are options. Um, If it feels helpful to take a little social media break. Oh, yeah. Good call. Have a friend, like, check your mail for you and just give you the bills and the important stuff and deal with the rest. Um, Lean on the people in your life right now because you're going to need them. Mm -hmm. And um, I hope you never have to see them again. You know, hope you get a great divorce lawyer and that you really just get taken care of and that you never have to talk to this guy again. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, man, oh, man, lots of luck to that baby. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, if you get anything in the mail that you want, keep it. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Keep it. Sell it. Keep the money. Yeah. Get on. Get on eBay. Man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Good luck. I, I. Whatever you need to get through this, do it. Um, Of course you're heartbroken. Of course it's so embarrassing to get congratulations on a baby that your husband had with someone else that you did not even know about. Um, Man, oh, man. Yeah, that's just awful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're dialing it down a little bit. (laughs) Um, Although, actually, some people might not feel like we're dialing it down because it's about dogs. And and dogs, you guys have read this column. Dogs bring out feelings (laughs) in people. People Yes. So the subject of this line is dog versus boyfriend. Uh, Dear Prudence, I adopted my sweet pit bull Ruby eight years ago. Two years ago, I met a great guy, and we've been living together for a year. He's never had a dog, so after he suggested cohabiting, I started bringing Ruby on overnights to give him a sense of dog parenting. We had our misgivings, but let our excitement override our better judgment. Since moving in together, she's become a huge point of contention. My boyfriend is super helpful and responsible with her, but hates having a dog. We've tried training, more exercise, and taking her for stays at my mom's. There's been some improvement, but my boyfriend is still miserable. We've been trying to rehome Ruby for a few months, but due to her age, breed, and not being dog-friendly, it's an uphill battle. I feel horrible about my boyfriend's unhappiness, and I'm afraid this will ruin our relationship. But the idea of leaving Ruby at a rescue gives me immense guilt. We've discussed my moving out indefinitely since we don't know when or if she'll be adopted, but basically all our options suck. I'm team move out. I'll just throw that out there right now. I think that's going to be the thing that the letter writer should do. But I'm open to hearing other sides. I mean, I think there's a lot of options. I think moving out is definitely one of them. Um, You know, the letter writer also notes that the boyfriend is super helpful and responsible with her. And, And maybe he shouldn't have to be. You know, it's not his dog. If he was okay with having the dog for overnights, maybe he would be okay having the dog in the house if he thought that the letter writer would take responsibility for the dog. And that might be a good equilibrium. That is a good point because she did have – or the letter writer did originally have like sole ownership of the dog before they moved in. So it's not as if the letter writer needs the second person um, if, if they were to hammer out a different sort of agreement. Um, but it is it is different, even if you're not responsible for the dog when the dog is in your house. Yeah. Um, you know, there's more to it than just the responsibilities. There's also like, you know, the smell, the hair, just the knowledge that the dog is in your space if it's really miserable for him. But I, I do think that is one possibility of, hey, let's not co-parent this dog. <laughs> uh, 
um, <laughs> at least before we, we, we go to moving out as the option of let's give a month or two a shot where just Ruby is not your job um, and see how that goes. I also just think there's this point where she just has to decide if having a dog is a deal breaker for her. Because the fact is, you know, Ruby's eight. She, you know, she'll live a few more years, but she won't live forever. And are you going to feel like there's a hole in your life with no dog when Ruby's gone? Because if having a dog really matters to you and having a dog is really a deal breaker for this guy, then this isn't the guy for you. And that sucks because it sounds like your relationship is amazing. But if it's a deal breaker, you're allowed to have whatever deal breakers you want. Yeah. And I do think, you know, I I am not one of those people who says like rehoming an animal is never an okay option or you just you you can't do it and, and feel good about yourself as a person. But, you know, that said, this does not seem like one of those circumstances where either rehoming responsibly is going to be possible. And I don't know that the reasons behind it are sufficient um, right now. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. – you've had this dog for eight years. Like she is – probably pretty connected to you um she is a a breed that oftentimes has a really hard time being uh, rehomed you know she doesn't live well with other dogs um you know she's an older dog so i think uh, my worry is that you'll want so badly for everything to be fine that you will um rehome her in a situation that's actually not ideal but just uh, out of a sense of relief to have solved the problem because you say like oh i feel you know uh really guilty about the idea of leaving ruby at a rescue which which means that you've considered it um and i just i i I think you know you gotta you gotta look out for your dog you know like she's been with you for eight years she loves you she trusts you um you decided to move in with somebody despite misgivings about how that was going to be handled and um, putting her in a rescue where she would probably not get rehomed and and probably have a much sadder, smaller life. Um, Yeah. I think there's a reason that that fills you with guilt. Um, And I think that's because you know that she deserves better than that. And I think you'll just end up hating yourself and this guy if you do that. And then the relationship's dead anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that you would be able to just like move on and feel great like i i think you should pay attention to that guilt i like the idea of saying let's try a month or two months where ruby is not your job at all and see if that helps and if he's like more reconciled to okay i don't love having the dog in the house but now that i know i'm not responsible for walks or um cleaning up after her i'm I'm doing better but if he's still miserable you can keep dating Uh, you know obviously like moving out is expensive and difficult but you did, you know, you lived separately before. Um, lots of people don't cohabitate for the, you know, entirety of their relationship. Or um, if you guys spend a couple of years living nearby one another, um, then that would be a good outcome, I think. Mm. But yeah, look out, you know, look out for Ruby here. Mm. There's there's a reason you've had a lot of trouble rehoming her. And that's because she, nobody else is looking out for her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So keep us posted, please, because I, I, I want I want Ruby to be okay. I want you to be able to make a decision that doesn't leave you eaten up with guilt. I don't want you to resent your boyfriend. Um, and, it, you know, you know, you say he's miserable now. You say that the idea of leaving her to rescue fills you with guilt. And then you just say, we've discussed my moving out indefinitely. And you don't say anything about that. So I'm wondering if maybe the main thing is just, oh, that'd be a real hassle. Yeah. As opposed to, like, I would just feel devastated and as if we were breaking up. Because if it's just that it would be a hassle, you know, sometimes you can just say, 
look, we rushed into this. We would love to live together again someday. This is a bummer, but we can do it. We've lived together before, and it worked out fine for us as a couple, so we can do it again. Um, that's the one option you have described without, like, a really specific, intense emotional word, like miserable mm-hmm. or guilt. So mm-hmm. pay attention to that. I'm all right. sorry all your options suck. Yeah, yeah. That's sometimes really too bad. Yeah, you know, and that's just part of life, right? Yeah. Sometimes you're just like, oh, I made a choice, and I regret it, and now I have to do something else, and that's yeah. okay. That's how you learn. All right. So now we've got somebody who has not yet made a decision that they may regret, um, but they might. And that's exciting. I love talking about stuff where you don't know yet if you're going to regret something. Subject, dating long distance. Dear Prudence, I'm supposed to be starting grad school in the fall at a university two states away. Unfortunately, this means leaving my boyfriend of a year behind, which worries me. We've talked about my move, and he's reassured me that we'll be in contact as much as possible. And I'll try his best to visit on weekends, 211 miles away. I'm still concerned. Most of my worry is that our relationship is so young that spending almost two years apart will definitely put a strain on us. How does a couple make a long-distance relationship like this work? I don't have a great answer. I just love that the letter writer included the exact mileage, yeah. 211. <laughs> yes. Like, that's just very sweet to me because that means they've, like, looked it up and they're like, oh, not 200 miles, 211. Yeah. I'll count all the miles between us. Yeah, they Maybe didn't... you could get an apartment that's only 210 miles away. <laughs> yeah, cut down on the drive. Yeah. Have either of you guys ever been in a long-distance relationship? Uh, only for a summer once. Mm. So it wasn't not like this. Not this summer? You're not still doing it? No. Oh. It was a number of years ago. Um, we were long distance for a semester. So I, I ended up, we both ended up marrying our college boyfriends. Um, we went to college together. Mm-hmm. Um, Guys, that's really charming. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, uh, and the semester that Abby and I were in London, my husband was still back. My now husband was still back in Ohio. So that was more than 211 miles. Um, but it was it was really hard. And I think long distance relationships are hard. Um, and some people, I've seen a lot of people not be able to make it work, and I've seen a lot of people be able to make it work, I think, with a defined end like this. Um, find people in your life who have had long-distance relationships have worked out and and talk to them and have faith in your relationship and try. My only worry here is that he says we'll be in contact as much as possible and he'll try his best to visit on weekends. And I think they should go in with a plan. So I know, so my sister and her now husband were long distance for a year. And they went in with a really clear plan of this is how often we're going to call. This is, this is how often we're going to visit. This is how often I'm going to come see you. This is how often I'm gonna come, you're going to come see me. And that worked really well because the expectations were clear. And nobody was like, why aren't you calling more? Why aren't you, you know, I visited you twice. Why aren't you visiting me? Yeah. Yeah, I think... Part of the question, like, there are answers, like, come in with a plan, um, communicate if things change to one another, um, prioritize one another while also making space for new friendships um, in the place that you're at. Um, But part of the question also seems to be, you know, can we guarantee that this is going to work out? And you, you know. Of course not. You can't. And it's absolutely true that long distance is harder than close distance. But if you both feel like we don't want to just call it quits now, we want to see if there's a chance to make it work. I think that's a reasonable risk to run. Um, I've, I've been in a handful of long-distance relationships, none of which I'm still in. But I don't regret giving it a shot. Mm. And there were some unique difficulties that haven't been present in my other relationships. But it also was not just a miserable slog. 
um, or a mm-hmm. shadow of the kind of relationship we had had when we were actually in the same place. Yeah. Um, it also sounds like the letter writer might be reconsidering the decision to go to grad school because they say, I'm supposed to be starting grad school in the fall. Hmm. Um, mm. And, you know, you have to make the right decision for you, but I'd warn you to really think about giving up on grad school to stay in the same state as your boyfriend um, because I think that that could really lead to resentment in the relationship. Yeah. And depending on what um, uh, kind of grad school you're doing, if you're looking at a at an academic career, long-distance relationships are pretty common because yeah. Um, yeah. you often have to move to wherever the job is. So um, this may be something that you have to face throughout your life. So maybe talk to other people in grad school, many of whom probably have long-distance partners, and say, like, what works for you? Some of it may sound terrible and you won't want to do it. Like, some people... For long distance, say, we eventually open up the relationship when we're apart from each other and then we're monogamous, we're together. That may fill you with dread and horror. You know, that's good information to have about yourself. Um, You may start off having a really specific plan and then as time goes on, find that you need to change some of it. But, yeah, I think prioritizing one another, checking in regularly, making sure things work for you um, and just taking the temperature frequently and asking, is this still working? Is this still worth it to me? Um, That'll go a long way towards seeing whether this is possible. And I'm a total romantic here, but I also just think you may as well try because finding finding somebody who could be your person is not easy. No. And if you think this could be your person, I would say give it a shot. And yeah. worst case, you know, either you break up now or worst case, you break up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yes, this is long distance and it's serious, but it's also, you know, it's not brand new. You've been seeing each other for a year. This is not someone you've been out with for a month. It's, you know, 200 miles away. Like, you know, I live in California, so I'm like, 200 miles? That's, that's 211. Nothing. Yeah, sorry, 211. <laughs> I'm like, you're pretty close to each other. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not like the other side of the world and you just met. Um, I say it's it does not sound like the worst case long distance scenario. Um, and if you guys are committed to one another, then you're just going to be able to take it one day at a time. And one of the, this is a little goofy, but one of the things that has often been helpful to me when I have seen someone long distance is it's always great to have the next visit planned Yeah. yeah. by each visit. Because then it's not like, oh, God, how are we going to get through two years? That way it's like, I'm seeing you now and I'm going another month before I see you again. So I'm dating long distance for a month, yeah. um, which can be a more manageable thing to contemplate than two years. And, and you're I'm, in grad school. Sometimes people only see their boyfriends once a month. Anyway, (laughs) yeah, and I have maintained a couple of long distance close friendships for long periods of time. And, you know, you find you find rhythms, you find ways of making it work. You try things and maybe they don't work. So you try a different thing and you start to have rituals and also you get to visit new places. Yeah. All right. Good luck. So we finally got a work question, which is great. And I don't remember whose turn it is to read a letter. My turn. Awesome. Please do it. Subject, future subordinate may make more than me. Dear Prudence, I'm a sales manager for a mid-sized startup. Recently, I've been conducting first-round interviews for a trainer who would work under me. I asked our recruiting manager what I should quote as a salary range if the candidate asked. He asked what my salary was. I told him what I made as a base and what my salary usually averages out to with commissions. He gave me a range that started 5K lower than my base salary. I went up to 25K higher. Think, the position will pay 40 to 60K based on experience, when I make 45K, including commissions. Now, the recruiting manager is a classic sales guy who always inflates numbers. So it's possible that he was giving a wide range to show commission, show commission potential. 
but it sounds like they're willing to pay my future subordinate the same or even a higher base salary than me. I don't know what this candidate's salary will actually be once we pick someone. That person will negotiate their salary with the CEO, and I won't be a part of that process. It's also possible that my recruiting manager gave me those numbers on the fly and wasn't entirely accurate. In January, I was awarded a promotion and a 10K raise based in my base salary. It was a recent and very generous pay raise, so I don't know how much clout I have to ask for another raise. Going to my CEO and saying, it's not fair that you may be willing to pay a future subordinate more than me, doesn't sound like a productive way to approach this but I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. I know I'm the lowest paid manager on the team, and the only female. But implying that this pay gap is gender-based is likely only going to alienate and offend my CEO. My CEO is also a classic sales guy, who wouldn't hesitate to turn his back around on me, to turn this back around on me, if I go in unprepared or if I put him on the defensive. Basically, everything's a sale, every conversation has a winner and loser, and life isn't fair, blah blah blah. So if I talk to him about this, I have to really have a strong argument besides principle and fairness. Should I ask for commensurate pay raise? And if so, how? I think that it is a shame that it would alienate and offend your CEO. But yeah, I think the fact that you're the only woman on the team and you make the least is probably gender-based. Maybe. Or a shocking coincidence. Yeah, I don't think it's a shocking coincidence. <laughs> no, I, I don't, don't think you only hire one woman by accident. I think you do it on purpose. Yeah. 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 Which maybe is not the going to be the most strategic way to go into this, but, you know, just for your own private information, yeah, that's a big part of why. Yeah. And so I, I say this with the caveat that I have not had a real job in a long, long time. I do academic medicine in which commissions are that's a job <laughs> what i mean what is your what is your definition of a real job here uh, yeah something where i understand what a ceo is and or commissions uh, well <laughs> uh, no a ceo is not a real job let's just go with that um, my job doesn't have have a ceo either i have a principal and an executive director but so you're good i was involved um in in doing the the toolkit for how to negotiate for raises for the American Association of Medical Colleges, in which we talked about this. Dude, you have an awesome job. I have an awesome See? job. Oh, my God. This it's is amazing. Real. This is extremely real. <laughs> uh, it's kind of pretend, but it's amazing. Um, so, so alienating and offending CEOs is actually a common thing when women go in and ask for raises based on this is unfair or I deserve more. And that sucks and it's stupid, but it's part of the implicit bias that a lot of people carry around with them. So there's research on this. Um, and the research suggests that you should go in by by playing with people's implicit biases about women, by saying, I'm really a great, great part of this team. I want this team to succeed. This is how I help be a member of this team that I make them succeed. This is This is the value that I bring to the table. And I can do so much better as a team player if I get X, Y, and Z. And um, man, you shouldn't have to pander to people's worst instincts, uh, but it's common. And if your CEO is kind of this much of a jerk, I, I'd pander to him and to his implicit biases, but you should totally ask for a raise. Well, and what you described was not like, that did not sound like the worst pandering I've ever heard in my right. life, right? <laughs> like that sounded strategic. It sounded like part of the game that it is sometimes unpleasantly necessary to say, but it's not like you're suggesting go in and apologize five times for bringing this up while being a woman. Um, it's um, there's there's some strategy involved, but it's not it's not that's uh, I, I think that's good is basically what I'm trying to say. Um, 
And and yeah, there's a lot of you give a lot of context because uh, you're being very generous here, like at, at various levels you're trying to point out. Now, it could just be this and it could just be that. And you're aware of that, right? It's not like you're contemplating going in and saying, I know with absolute certainty um, that this person has full control over somebody else's salary and it's going to be this and it's for the following reasons. Um, but uh, given what you do know, I, you know a lot. You know enough that I think you have grounds for this conversation. So if part of your concern is, am I just overreacting? Um, maybe it's not really that bad. Um, uh, you have been given valuable information about the company's budget. <laughs> um, and, and I think part of what's going to be really reasonable um, is to talk about uh, if I'm going to be training this person um, and I say, you know, <laughs> someday you could move up to my level and make less money. <laughs> Um, like, yeah. what does that communicate about how we reward success, expertise, training, managing? Yeah. I also think she should try to find qualified female candidates for the position. Totally. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I know that there's going to be a point at which she will get cut out of the hiring process. Yeah, um, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, to whatever extent, you know, you have any control over that. I hope that you're able to find another woman to bring onto the team. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I think approach it with your boss in the sense of like, yes, I'm going to play his game. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to do the sort of like, hey, I'm a canny salesperson, right? Like I've just received some exciting information and <laughs> I am going to, you know, uh, sell you on my canniness as a, as a saleswoman. Um, and to sort of say, here's what I've learned about the budget that our company has for this new position. Um, here's how much I make in comparison. Um, here's how much work I will be spending training this person. So if we value this position at such and such an amount, um, it's really important that uh, my pay be increased like, to a commensurate degree. Yeah. Use the word commensurate if you can. That's my only <laughs> trick. It also sounds like you really know what your CEO is like, which is great because you can go in. You know, it's not going to work if you go in unprepared. So go in prepared. Um, I always practice difficult conversations with um, boss type people, with people in my life who I know will give me good feedback. Um, you know, go in and and present, you know, and, and sell this person on how much money you should make. It sounds like he's game. Yeah. And, and don't try to peg it to like, if they get this much, I should make this much. I think it should just be like, given that this is the range that we're starting at, um, I need to be at the higher end of this range. Um, I think that that is something that we can do. I think that's important. And and I think also start doing some research about other companies that might be hiring yeah. in your area. Um, and sometimes the easiest way to get more money is to change companies. Um, so if it's an absolute dead end from this guy. And it, frankly, you know, if you recently got a $10,000 raise, that means you were probably making somewhere in the 30s before. Um, given that I know the range you gave us is sort of speculative, but it sounds like that's right around where you've been at, which, you know, Sure, depending on where you live in the country, that may go further. But that's, um, you know, given your position, given the fact that you're training and managing people, um, the company's not paying you too much. Yeah, yeah here um, in the Bay Area, that's horrifyingly low. I mean, I guess my big question is how much commissions are. But yeah, because it makes a huge difference. Sure. If this 40 to 60K is including commissions and, you know, the letter writer says she makes 45000 including commissions and maybe she makes 90000 But I have no idea really what a commission is, so I don't know how... Sure, I don't mean to suggest that maybe she's not able to pay her bills. And, and again, I would not necessarily encourage that to be the approach to take to this particular CEO who sounds like would not respond well to that tactic. Um, but, yeah, I, I think simply to say, like, um, I you know, given that I know that 
even with this raise, um, I, I'm not flat with everyone else on the team, given that I'm going to be expected to train this person um, and, and have a number in mind, I think, and go high with that number. Like, yeah. Go on the mm-hmm. higher end yeah. of this range. Um, the worst thing that can happen is he will say no. Um, I yeah. guess maybe he could be so offended that you asked for a raise, he could fire you. I think that's unlikely. Um It'll be worth doing some research at other companies, engaging interest and seeing if there's a way that you could, um, you know, use this to get hired elsewhere. Um, That might help you, especially if you have if you can get another offer and come to not necessarily like open with that. Like, by the way, I have another offer, but just to know in the back of your mind, other companies that might value you more. Um, And some companies you could say, I have another offer from such and such company for this much. Can you match it? Right. Depends on the culture. Depends on the company. Um, Absolutely. So I can't speak to that. But yeah, I I think you should have that conversation. Um, I think you have really excellent arguments that you've already laid out here. Um, I don't think you should let the fact that you got a raise about five or six months ago, um, which apparently still kept you below everyone else. So that suggests either everyone else was getting raises or you were so far behind everyone else um, that this is just frankly not enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know, if you present it like that, um, if you're kind of doing the whole like, look at what a great salesperson I am by like knowing all of these things and by pointing out my value as a trainer of this new hire and your boss is offended and alienated, at least you know it's time to start looking for another job. Yeah. I mean, I think one last trick is to kind of let your boss in on the game. You know, if he starts to get offended, say, look, you know, I'm I'm showing you my skills, sales skills. I'm showing you. We the are things. all so clearly not salespeople, by the <laughs> yeah. way. They're just like, how would we talk about sales yeah. with CEOs? The, the I, things that one does to yeah. sell things. I know some salespeople, um, but but you know, it's it's similar skills, and I think you can kind of let him in on that. Say, you know, it's so important for the company to be perceived as somewhere where people get merit based wages, and yeah, and and I think you know, you're not saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see your concern. If I say this is unfair, he'll just say life isn't fair, as if he has no control about this particular brand of unfairness. Um, but I think if you pose it as, um, you know, how are you valuing me as a member of this team? Um, how am I going to be able to train this person effectively? Um, why would it make sense for me to stay at a job where I was being paid less than a person I was training? Um, put it to him like that. Like, now, what's in that for me? Like, if he's such a what's in it for me kind of guy, um, you know, show off your canniness. Um, I think that that would probably be the best way to um, position it to him. Um, And ask for help. Like, if you have any friends who have successfully negotiated for raises um, or if you know other people on your team um, who have successfully negotiated for raises recently and you have a good working relationship, you know, ask them for advice. Ask them for what worked. Say, I I have not done this with my boss previously and I want to. Do you have any tips? And you know as well as we do that since all the other guys on your team are men – some of what worked for them um, may get perceived very differently when it comes from you, um, which is just the worst. There are also some organizations out there of women in business, or there might be some of women in sales, and that might be something to look out for so that you could sort of, you could find other women who have dealt with similar situations and get some advice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope so. I don't I don't know of any offhand, so... Um, I, can't. I, know they, I know they exist. Yeah. But. Um, but yeah, I think just don't let the fact that your recent pay raise was, quote, very generous. It clearly was not that generous if you're still making less than everyone else and they're telling you, hey, we're going to hire someone soon who is almost certainly going to make 
at least $5,000 a year more than you. Um, that yeah. I, I'm glad you have that information so that you can now make an informed decision. But it's kind of remarkable that someone felt that comfortable telling you that and your boss you know, the CEO clearly knows what the budget for hiring this person is going to be. Right. The CEO clearly knows how much you get paid that your CEO was just like, yeah, this seems awesome, um, is a shame. And I'm sorry. And good luck. I hope you make a ton of money and that you write us back and you tell us how it goes. <laughs> um, and I hope he gets paper cuts every day for the rest of his life. <laughs> yep. Just little ones, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just he. I don't like him. <laughs> I'm trying to declare my biases more often. <laughs> but, yeah, money stuff's hard. Have you guys ever asked for raises? Uh, I, I have not. I did negotiate my salary, but it was complicated. Yeah? I mean, you don't have to talk about it. Obviously, I realize this is a very personal question. Uh, but It's a kind of complicated story. I ended up negotiating my salary down because in academic medicine, you have to pay – the difference between what the NIH is willing to pay you mm -hmm. and what they're paying you out of your startup package. And I wanted my startup package to hire people who weren't me. So I, <laughs> I, I negotiated my salary down. I actually didn't successfully negotiate it down all the way. Okay, letter writer, don't <laughs> listen to that part. That part is different. I, I have also negotiated for a starting salary, honestly, badly. Mm -hmm. The one time I did it, I had been underemployed for about a year and I was kind of, and they asked me how much money I wanted and I didn't really know what they might offer. And I was kind of in this interview, like if you're willing to pay me enough that I can, you know, eat and not be living off my savings like I've been for the last year, that would be awesome. And, you know, they gave me an okay amount of money. I probably could have asked for more if I had, you know, if, if I had known, because there were folks who asked for more and got it. I think that's one of the hard things, especially like because typically women are not encouraged to ask for a lot of raises, there can be a sense of like, oh, how does this happen? Who does this? What's mm -hmm. the information? Yeah. What's, an, what's an appropriate amount to ask for? Um, if I have a good relationship with my boss and they seem like they value me, won't they just tell me when I'm doing well? Um, I don't want to offend or alienate anyone. And then you find out a male coworker is making just an absurd amount more. And it's like, wait, where have where was I for that day? Yeah. Like, yeah, that that happened to me. Was there a training session? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I've I've done a lot of talking about negotiation for the AAMC, um, and one of the things that we found when we were kind of looking into it and trying to figure out what to say is that most women just literally don't know that negotiation is an option. Like, someone says this is the base salary, and you're like, okay, that's the base salary. And I think <laughs> part of what's hard too is then usually, at least it seems to me, like when we start talking about that. The conversation sort of stops at, and so the answer is, let's all teach women how to negotiate like men, solve the problem. Right. And I wish so much more we would sort of ask, like, what is the culture um, that is mostly male-dominated um, that just lets people think it's fine that women get paid less all the time and I don't have to change anything. They just have to learn how to ask for more money. Um, like, where is the class for the yeah. CEOs and bosses that's like, what are you doing to value your female employees? Um and what are the skills that you really take for granted and assume they just do out of the goodness of their hearts? Because yeah. it's fun. Oh, she just likes doing that. Oh, I have such a rant about women being expected, you know, just sort of being expected to, like, organize the birthday cake and the gift. And, oh, that's just, like, nice social stuff. Like, no, that's – it's nice social stuff when we do it for our friends and our kids. 
at work, it's part of the job. If nobody's getting the birthday cake, that's an issue. Especially because then that, like, that's the kind of thing that's expected as a part of company culture often. It's expected that somebody's going to do it. It is not the same sort of work that results in, like, fast tracks for promotions or raises. Um, and yet if if you don't do it, you often get penalized in other ways. So it's sort of like this is both taking away time that I could be spending on things that would get me noticed. Um, and it's also just like uh, an unquestioned assumption yep. that it's something I might be good at. Yep. And I mean, the other big problem is that when women negotiate like men, they they pay a social cost. Um, right. And that's that's been shown time and again. And so these really well-meaning people come and are like, women, we'll teach you how to negotiate like men. Mm-hmm. Or don't worry, we've developed this kind of tortured third way of doing things yeah. where you can like <laughs> – subtly and without ruffling any feathers, yeah. get the things that the men have, but while also acting like this really relaxed, non-threatening, safe lady. Um, and it, it's, it's a lot to ask of somebody yeah. who is not generally speaking the person who's controlling all the money. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's a lot of emotional labor. Yes. It's a, I mean, the, the, this letter, this person has already spent, this woman has already spent a ton of time worrying, can I even have this conversation? Um, I know that if I point out the facts to my boss that he'll be offended and hostile. Mm-hmm. So I have to figure out a way to finesse reality in order to make it palatable to this man so that he will pay me equitably. And that's before they've even sat down to talk about it. Yeah, yeah that's that's a lot. <laughs> I hope he listens to this podcast, <laughs> you know, or I just, you know, I, I, I hope that more male CEOs and male bosses uh, who might be listening to this will think, what have I done yeah. um, to create space for my female employees? Do I even have female employees? <laughs> and if not, why? Because I promise you, it's not it's not just happenstance. Yeah. Um, and, and what can I do differently? Yeah. And I'm so spoiled, though. I've almost always had female bosses because therapy is such a female-dominated field because, oh, right, it's a field where we do a whole lot of emotional labor. There's, you know. Although I think that's a great moment to say, like, female CEOs who are listening to, you're not perfect. You don't get a pass just because you're women. Oh, women yeah. keep yeah, other absolutely. women down in the workplace all the time. I, I hope no CEO who listens to this <laughs> podcast thinks that I think they're doing good in the world. You're a CEO. <laughs> you're part of the problem. Um, Though if either of my current bosses listen to this, you're doing great. You're not keeping me down. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I can't I can't speak to your individual situation. But yeah, there's a you know, this is one of those things where as soon as you start pulling out the thread of what's wrong here, um, you know, it, it all comes back to um, a lot of other isms, um, yep. capitalism, racism, sexism. And that's the thing, too, is it gets so much more splintered when you talk about ever. Anyways, this is yes. a, this is going to go on for a long time. We're going to get a lot of questions like this. But um, I really hope that this letter writer is able to get what she needs um, from, if not this employer, another one. It's one of those letters where I just read it and I'm like, we can give you suggestions, but what I really wish I could do is make you a better world. Yeah. 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 Guys, thank you so much for cutting through at least four Gordian knots today. (laughs) Um, This was great. I wish I could always have people who married their high school, not the high school, their college College. sweethearts. Wait, that's the thing we didn't even get to. What did your five-year-old have to say about some of these letters? (laughs) I mean, my my five-year-old has very strong opinions about everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, mostly telling people whether they are good or bad. Okay. And ma- many, many people in these letters are bad people. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe it's actually for the best then that we didn't have the five-year-old on today because uh, 
generally speaking, people don't respond great to just, you're bad, get out. Um, <laughs> I don't think any of the letter writers are bad. No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, like the husbands, yeah, 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 yeah. largely. <laughs> but yeah, you know, there's something to be said for moral clarity. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, guys, thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. This was amazing. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Listener.